Amen. Go now to see church. Yeah, let's thank the band for leading us in praise this morning. Um, and thank you guys for bringing your A game on the praise point this morning. Uh, I know that that blesses God uh, when he gets to hear the praises of his people. Um, so thank you for that too. It's always good, you know, you, as a preacher, you can kind of hear, you can kind of tell how people are doing a little bit by, by the sound of things, the energy in the room and stuff like that. And I was getting, I was getting excited back there. Uh, getting ready to come out here. I was almost getting ready to like say, hey, move aside somebody. I want to sing for a while up here too. So, uh, but you'll probably be glad that I don't do that. So, um, well, we're in a series called Dancing on Eggshells. All right. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it is this. We're defining dancing on eggshells as gliding gracefully on delicate subjects, regardless of the crunch. And what we mean by that is we're going to talk about things that might be a little bit uh, sensitive, you know, that we tend to avoid. Uh, people might get their feelings hurt a little bit here or there, that we do everything we can to try and make sure that people don't feel bad. But when we do that, we end up surrendering the microphone to the culture around us. And so people end up learning by a mistake uh, rather than hearing the truth kind of on the front side and being able to align their lives with the kingdom of God. And so as we're looking at this, I want to I say this because we're talking about dating and singleness today, okay? Um, that whether you're single or married, your life's purpose is the same, all right? There is no difference uh, between what a single person is supposed to do with their life and what a married person is supposed to do with their life, okay? Sometimes I think we make marital status to be a bigger thing than it is. The purpose remains the same, and that is to honor God, to glorify God with your life by putting Jesus first in every aspect of your life. So when you follow Jesus, and, and he's central in your life, then that happens whether you're a single person, he's first. Whether you're married, he's first. If you're, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your marital status may be, the point of your life, the purpose, what God's called you to do with the one life that he gave you remains the same. Now, I'm going to give you some things today. This is a, a little bit different than a typical Tim Spivey sermon. Most of my sermons are what you would call expository. We take a chunk of the Bible, we work our way through it kind of verse by verse. Uh, today, we're doing what's called a, a little bit more of a topical sermon. So we're taking themes and we're, we're catching some of the big arcs of Scripture because there really are not a lot of texts in the Bible that are specific to the single or the dating life. There are some. There's one in particular that we're going to look at. Um, but most of what there is to learn and things that will really help people that are in this season of their life, uh, whether it's a temporary season or whether it's a permanent season for them, then that, those things are shaped more by some of the bigger themes of Scripture applied to that particular uh, season of life. Now, some of the things might sound a little touchy today. And uh, as we do that, I just want to say that one of the most loving things that a person can do for you uh, and that I can do for you as a pastor is to try to tell you the truth as best as I understand it from Scripture, okay? So there really is not, we often think that, that, that love is something that withholds truth that might hurt a person's feelings. Uh, that's really not love at all. Uh, love rejoices with the truth, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and so some of the things, and if, you, and if you do leave here and you feel a little bit bruised today, I hope that's not the case. I hope you walk out of here feeling like, hey, that was good news. Hey, that's I got some stuff that'll help me, then, then, then be patient. We'll beat up on the married people next week, okay? So there we go. Um, well, there was a, there was a, who's clapped for that just now? <laughs> yeah, beat up on the married people. Yeah, okay. Um, well, there was a study done, just to kind of illustrate our difficulty with the truth, done about the correlation between caffeine intake and breast cancer. 
So they did a study to figure out, okay, uh, to what extent does caffeine or high consumption of caffeine contribute to breast cancer? And in that study, um, it was, uh, they, they then, after the study was done, went to the people and the participants in the study, gave them the outcomes, and then asked them how confident they were in the results of the study. So, as you might imagine, people who consumed a high degree of caffeine were very skeptical of the study because it showed a correlation between the two. Now, this is just what they told the people, okay? It's not what actually happened. They go, I don't know about that. Uh, sounds sketchy to me. People who didn't consume much caffeine at all were like, oh, that's good to know. What do you think the split was between men and women? Remember, this is breast cancer. Men, well, I'm really, yeah, it sounds bad. I'll tell my wife not to drink so much coffee. Women were like, hmm. Uh, I don't know about all that. Now, if you'd flipped this and it was prostate cancer they were talking about, my guess is it would have flipped back the other way. All right, so they did it as an illustration of our propensity to not welcome truth when it comes our way, even if it can help us, right? After all, if there was a correlation, wouldn't want to know that? If there was a correlation, for instance, between the way that a person approached dating or the way they approached marriage and it was toxic to abundant life as a single or abundant life as a married person. Wouldn't you want to know that? I would. At least I'd like to think I would. So that's what we're after today, okay? Uh, so I hope that we won't go, ah, I'll have all the caffeine I want or whatever, because really the ultimate question has to do with the lordship of Jesus in your life. Whether you're married, whether you're single, uh, and I think the church has done a disservice, particularly to single, single people, um, and married people, really, when we talk about the subject of love in general, we will often do that. When people describe to us what biblical love looks like, um, we hear it and we don't receive it as good news and something we're hungry for, a love that would, um, for instance, rejoice in the truth. We, we prefer more low-octane things like acceptance. They're a little more gooey and vague. As long as you accept me, then that's what love is. That's what the Bible says is, no, that's not love. Acceptance is acceptance. Love is love. Love looks like what Jesus does for us. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. That's what love looks like. And so we, we substitute acceptance uh, over a love that rejoices in the truth, because perhaps a love that we can fight each other over in the culture wars is easier than a love that isn't proud or doesn't boast or doesn't insist on its own way, that keeps no record of wrongs, that rejoices in the truth. It is easier to lower the bar than it is to aspire to the greatness of the love of Christ. And so as we talk about dating and singleness, I, and we use the term love, and we talk about commitment or things like that, I want you to, 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 to hear them in the language of Scripture with the weight that goes with them, not the way they're defined out there, quote-unquote, okay? Um, it's easier to talk about marriage from the pulpit, frankly, and I think we preachers do that because most of us are married, and it's easy to talk from your own point of reference, okay? But I was not born married. I went through a lot of the awkward things that go on when you're single. I've spent Valentine's Day by myself before. Uh, I, have, I have been invited to dinner at somebody's house only to get there and see a person from the opposite sex that they invited to, hoping that we would be match made in the course of it, sabotaged, um, ambushed, if you will, um, by that, just thinking you're going to have dinner at somebody's house and, and then going... Uh, almost anywhere you go, people trying to say, well, why don't you 
get to know so-and-so, you know, and everything, and all the weird stuff that goes with that. Uh, I know what it's like to, to feel attracted to or drawn to somebody who's not a Christian, and I have to wrestle with all of that and, and, and all that goes with that, and I know what it's like to then fall in love with somebody and become happily married, okay? Um, having said that, none of that's relevant. It's interesting. Not relevant, though. Because my ability to identify with you, or you with me, really doesn't change the truth, right? It doesn't matter, for instance, if you believe in God or not, that has no bearing on whether there is a God. You can choose to believe in Him or not, but, but, but the reality of God or not God doesn't depend on whether or not you believe in Him. My ability to identify with you, uh, or you with me, has no bearing on anything about the truth. I mean, try it on with me. Let's say because I'm a man, I say to uh, all the sisters out there, hey, listen, I'm a man, and because I'm a man and you're a woman, you have nothing to say that I could benefit from whatsoever. <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that go down? Well, yeah. Well, it sounds absurd, right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it that way, uh, but that's often what we do. Well, you don't know what it's like being single today. Uh, well, that's fine because he grew up this way and I grew up this way. Hey, it's fine because he's in that role and I'm in this role. Well, that's easy to say because you're married and you're not single, you know. So, so let's just like take empathy and that kind of like you have to be able to be exactly like me or you have nothing to say and, and put it in the rightful box that it deserves to be and then thrown out, okay? <laughs> Truth remains. Now, it can be applied in different places, and it, and it can be applied in different ways to different people in different seasons of life. But when you're talking about singleness, you are really going after a whole lot of seasons in life. For instance, consider this. You have young single people, like high school or college age. That's just kind of like the first few rows here in the middle. Yeah, I know. The one. Um, you have the young single professional people. So that's after, say, high school and college, but before, say, 40 or so. Then you have the older singles who never married. Then you have older singles who are divorced. You have older singles who are widowed. You have younger singles who are widowed. You have younger singles who are divorced. Some people who want to marry but have not done it yet. Some people who don't care if they marry or not, right? And all of them are single. So, if the idea is that, that whoever it is that's going to offer you anything has to be exactly like you, you all can't even identify with each other. And so I guess unless I find another person who's exactly like me, has the same skin color, same gender, same everything, same situation in life, same occupation, went to college at the same place, follows the same sports team, then they have nothing to say to me. And that's supposed to make me smarter and wiser. Gotcha. So what we're going to do today is take big biblical themes to this very diverse group of people. And I want you to know that we keep single people in mind in everything we do, everything at NBC, everything. Um, to the point that we've got several, almost half the staff is single at NBC. <laughs> Says Riley. Um, we had a couple of them on the stage a second ago, okay. Um, and, and, and part of that is a conviction, and we'll start here, from a biblical perspective, that this is true. Being single, is not inferior to being married. It is not, biblically. Singleness is not what you settle for if you can't find a mate, okay? In Matthew 19, Jesus will talk about what he calls spiritual eunuchs. I'll save you the gory details of what a eunuch is, 
okay? But it's, a, it's an emasculated person, uh, often by choice or, by, um, or, or because they were going to be in the court of the king. And the idea was to keep uh, the king's wife safe. Uh, and he says that there are spiritual eunuchs. There are people who commit themselves to being celibate or being single. It's a calling. Paul will speak of it in a very similar way. John the Baptist, single. Jesus, single. Paul, single, at least at the period of time where he's writing the letters. Uh, there's, a, there's some evidence that he may have been married before and either been a widower or that his wife left him when he came to Christianity, but it's not explicit any way you slice it. So he may have been both, but when he's writing the letters, he's single at that particular point in time. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 as a gift from God. Both Jesus and Paul indicate that such a call to singleness actually allows unmarried men and women, get this, to devote greater and more undistracted attention to religious service. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. Now, you've got to put in context what's going on at Corinth. He's convinced that based on how wild the culture has gotten, that surely Jesus is coming very soon. And so he's saying, hey, listen, if you're single, stay single, basically. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, be single, but don't go trying to get married because this all looks like it's coming to an end fairly soon. But he does say that if once I become married, and I'll vouch for this, when I, when I got married now, I'm not able to devote myself to God in the way that I was before. It just changes shape, and now I'm serving my wife, my kids, and the church, and the mission of God in a different way. But when you are single, there were certain things that I could do uh, that I can't do anymore. And, and I, part of that's I'm getting old. But the other part is that I, you know, that there is a mental, spiritual focus that when you're single, you really can do. So if you're single, don't look at it as this phase that you're, you ought to try to get out of as fast as possible. Not necessarily. This ought to be something that if you can focus your mind, your heart, your thoughts around the kingdom of God and what God can do with your life during this season of your life, whether it's a season or that is your life's calling, that that's incredibly valid. Uh, there are people that, that serve as missionaries, people that serve as hospital workers, people that serve God in all sorts of different ways for a lifetime by choice, by choice. Now think about this one. Here's another mind blower. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus says that the final state of all of us will not to be married or to be given in marriage, but will be like the angels in heaven. Matthew twenty-two thirty. That means we will spend eternity single. Now, if that depresses you, I hope it won't. I don't think you're going to be worried about it in heaven, frankly. You're going to have a lot of other things on your mind. But I think it's important that we get this, okay? That singleness, as Scripture defines it, is not inferior. So, married people, if you run into single people in the lobby, don't pity them, all right? Uh, single people can pity. They often pity married people. They won't say it to you out loud, but they're like, oh, man, poor guy. You know, they wander by the children's ministry, and they're like, thank you, Lord, that I'm still single, right, or whatever. So, so, so we don't need to do that. What we need to do is join arms, figure out how we can serve the Lord together um, as God has called us to do, all right? Um, next, uh, spend less time searching, more time preparing yourself for marriage. Uh, Gary Thomas, uh, I would recommend this book highly. In fact, every book he's ever written, I would recommend it to you highly. But he wrote a book called The Sacred Search. 
Uh, and he's talking about basically singleness and the quote-unquote search for, you know, the one, you know, the, the infamous one, the unicorn out there that nobody can ever seem to find until they find the one. He says, you know, listen, it, he goes, this is a quote, getting married won't make you happy or an adult. Getting married makes you married. That's all it does, okay? And I, I think it's amazing. Um, why is my mother-in-law clapping over there? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> Been married 50 years to the same guy. But, but it, is, it just makes you married, right? And then he goes on from there, and he talks about how important it is, okay, that during the time that you're single, you learn to get in touch with your weaknesses, your sinfulness, your, the, the, the problems that you've got, and that during that phase, you try to work through those and sort through those during your singleness. Because, as he just said, and my mother-in-law amen, getting married just makes you married. You will not change after the wedding. You're going to be the same dude or dudette that you were prior to that day. And if you are a person of low character, you will be a person of low character after you're married. That doesn't mean, but, but what I'm saying is that doesn't transform you magically. You don't click your heels and all of a sudden, now oh, I'm a man or a woman of high character. So if you're at a point where you have a problem controlling your lusts before you get married, get on top of that, deal with it before you get married because it won't go away just because you're married. If you have a problem handling your money before you get married, deal with it as best you can and be honest with who you're dating about it on the front side. Here's what Thomas says. He says, it's better to admit your weaknesses and make provision for them than to pretend you're something you're not and suffer the consequences when your true character surfaces. Caring about not hurting girls or tempting boys you've not yet dated trains you toward compassion, and compassion will serve you very well in marriage. Now, I often talk to, to our folks here, our single folks, um, I, uh, and they, they often will ask me, uh, why have I not yet found the one? Well, let me give you a few things to consider. If you're single and you do hope to marry someday, okay, there's, as I said, it's totally valid not to. If you do hope to marry someday, your primary job is not to look for, like you're hunting Bigfoot, okay, or, or a unicorn, all right, Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. It is to become the kind of man or woman who will make a God-honoring spouse, okay? It's preparing yourself for marriage, not searching. God will bring the person to you. But often when people go on that search, they forget a couple of things, okay? Uh, one is there is no perfect person out there. All you have out there are mutual sinners. Some hide it better than others, okay? And some are more in touch with it than others. But you will not find Mr. or Mrs. Perfect out there. I remember I was on staff with a guy who was in his 40s. He was still single. And we were sitting in the office one day. It was kind of like lunchtime or something. We were chewing the fat, and he was lamenting that all these girls that he dated, eventually they, they turned out to not be what he needed or what he wanted. And I thought to him, I go, I'll leave his name out because <laughs> I think he still listens to my sermons. I said, uh, I said uh, I'll call him Bill. I said, Bill, do you really think there's a perfect woman out there for you? He's all, I'm hoping so. And I said, Bill, if she's out there, why would she marry you? 
was my thought. And I thought, what, why are you out there on this search? And I worked with the guy all the time, and I knew, you know, look, you're not, you know, this budding rose of a dude yourself. You know, every rose has its thorn, brother. I mean, do you really think if, if the criteria that you're setting for a spouse is that she's perfect, how do you have a, a, a marriage that is intact, that's aimed at the right things when that's the expectation going in? And if that's where you're spending the bulk of your energy, then the question becomes, okay, how little energy am I spending on actually becoming the kind of man or woman that God would want somebody to spend their life with? Okay, so that, that's one. Another one is this, okay? Now, by the way, caveat. Keep your standards high. Not, I'm not saying go don't have any standards. I'm saying spiritually especially. Have good standards. Just don't expect perfection and be honest and vulnerable with the person that you're dating so that you don't give them this big, aha, tricked you, um, and then you spend the next 50 years together in misery, all right, because you, you, were, you defrauded them in the dating process, all right? Um, defrauding was a bit strong, but you know what I'm saying. Call that an eggshell, crunch, crunch. Here we go, all right? Um, but it may be when people are going, okay, why haven't I found the person yet? One of the things you need to be open to is that you are not ready yet. You may think you're ready. In fact, I've very rarely met anybody who doesn't think they're ready. And yet, many of the people that I meet are not ready. All right? I don't know how, how exactly to signify that you're ready. I, I don't know that, like, when you're getting married that you can ever, it's like becoming a parent, right? You can try to prepare yourself, but do you really know what you're getting into when you do it? You can't possibly know until you're in it and you're over your head in it. Then you all of a sudden realize what it is, right? But I think the best way you can prepare yourself is to say, I'm in touch with my frailties, my weaknesses. My life is oriented as best I can do it around the kingdom of God first. And I have found somebody who is about the same thing. And then when you're there, then you can kind of grow together and you guys can understand, okay, we're a couple of sinners working, saved by grace, working together to try and build a life on the foundation of Christ and his teachings. Uh, but it's not simply this matter of, of uh, okay, she's hot or he's this or he's rich or he's this or he, she's got this status or whatever. That, that stuff is at best a vapor, and it will go like that. And what you will realize is, uh, speaking of eggshells, is that that's what you got in your marriage. It's like it's that fragile. The Bible says beauty's fleeting. A woman of noble character. Now, there you go. So as you're in this phase, okay, part of the preparation is making sure that your foundation's laid well, that your life's oriented in the same way. And then here's the other part, okay? You being learning how to be vulnerable. What do I mean by that? Being honest. That's part of character. Character is not just about doing everything perfectly. It's about knowing how to say you're sorry. It's about knowing how to put your hand in the air and say, I blew it. It's about knowing how to lead yourself back to Christ, if that makes sense. Uh, that was a good piece of advice. I got the, uh, Wayne Cordero. I heard him say that once, Pastor Wayne Cordero in, in Hawaii. He said, he said, find a person, marry a person who knows how to lead themselves back to Christ. What does he mean by that? Because there are going to be seasons, if you're in a relationship with somebody, where one or both of you get 
very far. Somebody's going to start stretching the boundaries. You're going to start fighting for days and weeks and months, and things are going to start getting out there. But if they're a Christian, then they're tethered to the cross, and they will find a way to lead themselves back. They're going to go, you know what? I'm not acting in a God-honoring way, and they will start moving back. If that's not central and they don't care, then you're just dealing with feelings. Feelings don't get you very far in marriage. What gets you far is commitment, love, perseverance, the fruit of the Spirit. That gets you a long way. Some of the people in this room have been married north of 50 years. I'm at 21. I feel like a kid, uh, maritally, around some of the people that, that go to this church. We've had people 60, 70, north of 70 years of marriage. Think about that. I mean, wow. You want to go to them and say, well, our marriage is really about you know, how hot he or she is. They would laugh you out of this building, and they should. Beat you with their cane or whatever they would do. <laughs> All right, but if you don't, you're going to end up like this dude who I, I got to admit, I low-key respect. His name's Aaron Smith. Here he is. My dude. Talk about the search. Aaron Smith here. He, this man wanted a relationship and so he would get on these dating apps, and he said, you know what? The problem is I got too much competition. So he created a dating app. It was called Singularity. And the, the part of this app that was awesome was that the only man on the app was him. <laughs> so these girls would log in, and all of the profiles that they would scroll across were all different versions of him. So I have some pictures for you here. That's good. So here he is. So you would go through. Aaron, 32, Corey, 29, Aaron. 30. It's like, I'm trying to go, what kind of woman do you think you're going to get with the parrot on his shoulder and the green spandex? Like, are there a lot of you gals out there looking for a dude like that? Hey, where did I get the guy in the green spandex with the parrot on his shoulder? But that's what he did, right? You got, then he's Jeremy at 33, Aaron at 32. So you got musician, hipster, I don't know. You got the uh, a happy dude with the guitar, and then you got the real him. Now, here's what I'm going to suggest to you. If you don't get in touch with the gospel, okay, what Henry Nouwen called the unadorned self, the you stripped of all accomplishments, all beauty, anything desirable about you, the you that's you, the you that God created. Go back to that slide, please. You can't get a better illustration than that, dude, okay? That, that if you don't get in touch with who that is and get comfortable being loved fully by God in that state, then you become this dude. You know what it means? It means I'm going to be Tim, but if I don't catch any flies with that honey, then I'm going to become this dude. And if that doesn't attract anybody, then I'm going to become that dude right? And, and so then, and this is where it gets really dangerous, you do that with your Christianity. At first, you start here. Hey, you know what? I love Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. But then you realize, hey, no guy wants to go out with me if I'm too Christian. So I'm going to tone that down. At work, I turn into this gal. And then on the weekends, I turn into that gal. And then on Sunday, then I go back to being a ah, gal. And then back to the cycle, right? And I'm going to tell you, man, you get used to acting as a life's Rhythm, that's a hard thing to shake. Being a phony, that leads to bad marriages. 
And so what ends up happening is you are never secure in your marriage because you don't know which one of these people they like. Which one do they fall in love with? Do they fall in love with the Christian me? The professional put-together me? The good athlete me? The band player? The, the dude with the parrot and the green spandex? Who do they fall in love with? Right? And, and that's the thing is, and that's why God is doing us a huge favor here. And that's why the gospel has to be the center of who you are. Because when it is, you're not insecure because you know you're fully loved by God at your core. Stripped of your good looks, stripped of your accomplishments. God doesn't care what kind of diplomas you got on the wall. He doesn't care about how much money you make. He owns everything. How are you going to impress him? You think he's going to sit there and go, oh, you know, I was doing fine until Warren Buffett came along, and now I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? He owns everything. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that down at its core, it's him saying, so Henry Nowen, the guy who talked about the unadorned self, he was at the peak of his academic career, and he dropped it all, and he moved to a, a uh, community of special needs people. And he wrote a book uh, in which he reflects on this, and he goes, you know, it was kind of awkward because I went in there, and I expected them to know who I was. You know, I'm kind of a big deal, he thought. <laughs> and then he realizes they have no capacity to even understand who I am and who I'm not. They weren't impressed. And so he had to learn what it was like to be in a relationship to people where they couldn't be impressed by his academic credentials. I wonder how many of us would really benefit from understanding that at his core, God is not that impressed, and he loves you anyway. And if you're going to have a relationship with somebody that is authentic, okay, you're going to have to learn to allow them to love you in as close to that state as they can get in touch with because that's how God loves you anyway. And if you're a spouse, that's how you're called to love your spouse. The unadorned spouse. All right? So, um, I got to hustle. Here we go. <laughs> um, two slides ahead, please. One. Yeah, there we go. All right. Now, this is the one where you're all going to get mad at me, but that's okay. Only date Mary committed Christ followers. Now, that seems so narrow. Well, let me read this to you, and then you tell me what you think Paul is saying. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 7, 1. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Next slide, please. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Had a young woman come to me in this church a few years ago, 
and it was after church, and she came up to me with, a, with her cell phone. And she says, Pastor Tim, come here. So I walked up, and she says, hey, can you tell me, what is he asking me exactly? So I go down. His question to her was, how Christian are you? Now, this was a Christian dating app. And when you follow the thread, what he was wanting to know was basically, will you sleep with me or not? This is where he was going with that. So she goes, what is, what is he saying? And I said, he's saying he's not the one, is what he's saying. <laughs> How Christian are you? Like it's a percentage. I'm 11% Christian. How about you? Right? Uh, I'm 87. Well, okay, yeah, that's all right. I guess that's low enough or whatever. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? What, how Christian are you? This is a text that asks that question to you in a different way. After all, if Jesus is actually the first thing in your life, if, it's actual, if he's actually primary, then what Paul's saying is, then what could you possibly have in common with somebody else? that doesn't follow Jesus. Well, they're nice. Okay, that's good. There are a lot of nice people. You don't have to marry them. They're hot. Check back in 15 years. His great hair, well, that'll be gone too. You know, whatever the case is, right? You can just go down the list of other things. He's saying if Jesus is actually first, then Jesus is first. And so what ends up happening is in Christians think, and then this is, the, this is a really serious thing that I really want to encourage you to think about, the idea that I will date them and I will convert them later. Don't do that. Dating is not a mission trip, okay? Dating is dating, and marriage is for life, and it is a covenant that will... That, that, that is to resemble the relationship between Christ and the church. All right? I mean, what do you really have in common with somebody? If Jesus is first and he's the foundation of your life, what do you have in common with somebody for whom Jesus is not a part of the picture? If you're single, but don't have the gift of singleness, we'll say, Singleness is not just a time to look for somebody worth marrying. It's, it's time to become someone worth marrying. And, and you owe it to yourself and to that person to be honest with them about what and whom is first in your life. And if you're a Christian, that whom is Jesus. My wife knows she is second in to only him. And I know, then I look to my Savior, and he tells me then how I'm supposed to treat my wife, the way that he loves the church. But if I'm supposed to love her that way, but we don't, but I'm a Christian and she's not, how's that going to happen? Gary Thomas in, in The Sacred Search writes this. He says, lying about what you want out of marriage going in because you're afraid you'll lose the relationship if you're honest is one of the worst kinds of fraud you could ever commit. I agree. Now, Paul goes on. He has instructions for people who 
um, you know, are, are, are already married to somebody who, you know, th- that's not a Christian. So, for instance, he says, if you're already married to somebody who isn't a Christian, stay married to them. Don't divorce them. Win them over by your example. If you become a Christian after you were married and your spouse did not, stay married and win them over by your example. If you divorce and remarry, remarry a Christian. You don't go back and redo the same, make the same mistakes that you made the first time. If you decide that you're going to date, don't begin a relationship with somebody that you aren't aligned with and that you say, uh, with what you say is most central in your life. What, how, can, how can that happen and why do people do it? I'll tell you why. Because whether we want to admit it or not, when, when, when people are yoked together with unbelievers, the root issue underneath it is that Jesus is not central in their life. Finding the one is central in their life. And that's why they substitute that for what Jesus actually tells them to do. Not being alone anymore is central in their life. Having kids is central in their life. Sex is central in their life. Not being alone. Whatever replaces Jesus at the center, okay, is actually, whether we want to admit it or not, an idol that is set in opposition to him. So, we have a choice then about whether we want Jesus to be Lord of the relationships we have or we want the relationship to be Lord and take our chances. Jesus doesn't work well as a vitamin supplement when the relationship feels weak. God does God. And he wants to be first. And what he's promising here and what Paul is trying to say is that if we're able to answer the question, if somebody were to come up to say, how Christian are you? Man, you have no idea. Ought to be the answer. And if they go, oh, well, then I'm not interested. The right response ought to be me either. Me either. Now, if you're finding people that like, you know, um, I've, got a, I've got a good friend that continues to go through, you know, kind of uh, the dating grinder, you know, where, where, where they, you know, um, she's kind of a, I, I, I affectionately refer to her as a zero magnet. She just draws bad pe- guys into her life. And I just keep going, look, where do you find these guys? And she tells me where she finds them. And I said, well, what kind of guy did you think you were going to find there? Right? When she gets down to the nitty-gritty and she understands how loved she is by God and that she's worthy of a guy that loves her the way that Jesus loves her, she will start looking for guys in different places. But deep down, she doesn't even realize it. She doesn't realize that she feels so unworthy of a man who would love her that way that she almost needs to have that relationship that is toxic or harmful uh, to her because that's what she feels like she deserves. And that's what God is trying to save us from. He goes, no, 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 no. And that's why it has to be rooted in the gospel that God loves you more than you can fathom. Regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of your accomplishments, regardless of what you look like, 
any of that stuff, your unadorned self, stripped away of all the pretense and all the things, all that cultural camouflage we throw on, all of those personas that we put up there to let people know, oh, yeah, this is who I am. No, no, no. You don't like that person? Well, here's who I am. Oh, you don't like them? Well, here's this me. Here's that me. Let me try and, you know, come up with different ways of impressing you or doing these other things. The gospel says, no, no, no. First of all, none of that impresses God, and it won't impress the person that he's bringing to you. So some of us, if we're going to look at the search, need to search differently. And some of it is becoming comfortable enough with yourself that you stop looking because you don't need another person to make you complete, that you understand that I'm complete in Christ. And then at that moment, you might be surprised a whole forest of unicorns might come walking by. You know what I'm saying? Because God will bring them to you. When he knows that you're ready, your heart's right, he'll bring them to you. If that's what he wants for you. And if you say, you know what? I, I think the best way that I can serve the Lord with my life is to be fully committed to him uh, and not to marry, then that's legitimate. Okay, But don't make your decisions based on the gospel and the centrality of Jesus don't just make them based on deeply felt personal emotional needs that you think another human being can meet. It's an unreasonable, ungodly expectation for another human being. And then what I realize then is when I don't expect my wife to meet all of those needs herself, guess what? She meets those needs. God meets those needs through her in my life. But I don't go in relying on her to make me happy in every aspect of my life because I'm fulfilled in who Christ has made me and what he's doing in my life. I'm out of time, man. So we'll pick it up next week. Um, but hey, yeah, God bless you guys. Thank you for, for tolerating it. <laughs> and like I said, next week we'll beat up on the married people a little bit. Uh, myself. Yeah, go ahead and clap for that one too, yeah. So, um, but hey, listen, listen, you, you dating and single people, listen, while you're, you know, if you're waiting... Okay, while you're waiting, if you decide you just want to stay single, cool. Either way, get involved in ministry, get your life focused, and watch how God transforms you. You will be amazed. All right, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. One big happy family, married, single, everybody. Uh, you should have gotten a little bag with the elements inside, bread and cup. Uh, we do that to keep everybody a little safe during this era we're in. Um. This is our table uh, where we get, this is our family table. Uh, if you have, if you'd like them and you didn't get them, we have some ushers, just put your hand in the air, we'll get them to you. We do this every week here at New Vintage. If you're not familiar with what this is, we call this communion. It's a time where these, the little piece of cracker and the juice that's inside represents the body and blood of Jesus. And so we try to take some time to reflect on the word preached, on the words that we've said in song, and... Uh, and to think about what we're going to do with it. So at this time, I'd like to focus particularly on the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. And don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. God knows you need all that stuff. He'll take care of you. If you've been through a sequence of horrible relationships or whatever, I'm glad you're here. I hope that something that's been said has maybe started a little, little fire in you. 
But this morning as we gather around the table, let's focus on the love of God. Scripture says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Communion reminds us that Jesus has called us friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup, to all the married and single people in this room, Father, we know you love us all the same. Uh, Father, for how you've shown us your great love in the person and work of Christ, we give you thanks. And so now, Lord, um, we hear uh, the words of, your, uh, of Scripture, and we say, Lord, you, you're number one. You are number one. And we commit to that now as we take the bread and the cup. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.